Hello and welcome to another episode of Rethinking Rehab with Dr. Shane Smith. I'm a licensed physical therapist that's been practicing in Naples, Florida for the last 10 years, helping people feel better, move better, and enjoy their overall quality of life better. I know that many of you are getting ready to hit the roads tonight with uh, Halloween and uh, sometimes injuries and other things hurting you can uh, make a holiday like today a little less enjoyable due to concerns of how your knees or feet may feel on the walk. And thinking about this on my drive into work this morning made me decide, you know, I feel like knee pain and running is something I haven't done yet that I should touch on because, you know, knees are one of the most common areas that people get hurt or feel pain with when they're running. And if any of you are runners out there listening or know of friends that are runners, you know how addicting running can be. Uh, I myself have enjoyed running mainly for uh, stress relief, but as well for health benefits over probably the last 20 years or so. When I was in uh, high school, I, I started picking up running. I was never fast enough to join the cross country team. I was involved with other sports at the time, so I mainly looked at running at that time as a way to stay in shape, a way to help control weight and keep my endurance up for more of my sports-related play. But many people out there have ran competitively in the past, are in the process later in life of trying to get into a more competitive running uh, form. Uh, some of you have maybe turned into more of the weekend warrior or the 5K, 10K, half marathon distance runner, which is great. Um, I think individuals that run uh, do get so many benefits out of it, not only just the cardiovascular aspect of helping your heart and your vas vesicles and all your arteries and veins working properly, but it really does do something for your mental health as well as general mind clarity. Um, so for those that have ran or are currently unable to run due to an injury in the knee region. That's what I wanted to talk a little bit to you about today on, on the podcast. So we're going to co co cover uh, mainly running-based injuries with knee pain. What's going on? What's the general rules, thoughts out there in the rehab community? And where do I differ from some of the general thought processes with these kind of injuries? So some of my readings I did before doing this podcast to get some ideas of topics to talk about, uh, I came across the fact that knees are the most common location for injuries in the running population. So if you're out running or you know somebody that enjoys running, there's a fairly good chance that they, you, at some point have or will experience some knee discomfort. And I can tell you after getting into my 30s, uh, knee stiffness with running became much more of a common issue for me. Um, it usually isn't too much of an issue under a 5K distance, but anytime I push past a 5K, maybe going to the five, six mile range, I notice that things get more stiff and achy around the knees. Um, normal thought processes would be, is this just part of getting older? Um, and, and the real answer is it just requires more prep time for me. So if you're dealing with just stiffness in the knees, especially in the front of the knee, when you're running or shortly thereafter running, I would tell you the number one issue you're dealing with is quad tightness. Um, looking at some general quad stretching, that's always a helpful thing. I have found myself personally, if I stretch 
significantly prior to running, I don't experience nearly the same magnitude of, of knee stiffness. Um, so that's an easy fix for a easy issue. If you're running without pain, just stiffness is being felt around the kneecap, around the top of our knee. A lot of that's due to quad tightness. So stretching the quads become extremely important um, as we age with staying active and running. Uh, I would tell you after 30, the biggest wake-up call for me with maintaining a level of running competition, whether it be the speed or the distances I'm running, um, flexibility is just so important at this point in time. Um, let's get into some of the other issues people may be dealing with out there besides just my own issues. Um, if you've had pain under your kneecap or right around the kneecap, this is one of the more common issues people deal with. And this joint that our kneecap functions with our leg is considered a patellofemoral joint. It's the patella and the femur. Those two bones are what make up the majority of your knee joint. And if there is a lot of quad tightness, if you have issues in your feet, uh, these areas can result in discomfort under the kneecap. Um, the traditional thought with this issue, with the runner's knee, as they like to refer to it in general reading, um, a lot of discussion is made about needing orthotics and foot support. Um, I disagree. I think one of the issues people deal with is their feet are already so weak and locked into a certain position that they can't manipulate the ground or change force with each step when running because their feet are not acting as the proper shock absorber. So one of the big common things you'll see out there is, oh, you're dealing with knee pain when walking or running, you need to go into orthotic. Your feet could be moving too much and, and because your feet can't hold a specific position, then they need orthotics. And that's just totally not the right way to think about it. Um, the most dynamic part of our lower body is our foot and ankle. And we're going to put it in a very stiff, cushioned shoe with an orthotic that completely limits movement. We might as well just fuse all the bones in our feet and ankles and just run on peg legs if that's the kind of train of thought that we need to look at for our knees. My personal opinion is the total opposite. I feel that we're in shoes that weaken our feet all the time and or deal with a lot of stiffness in our feet due to the shoes we're wearing all the time. I mean, if you think about a woman that's in a wedge or a heel, there's not a lot of movement occurring in those feet. And that's why you see a lot of bunion issues. You see a lot of arthritis breakdown in certain joints of the feet in women that wear this kind of footwear on a regular basis. It's the total wrong route to take for your feet. You need to get them moving. You need to get your feet out of shoes. You need to get them loosened up. You need to try barefoot walking on surfaces that you can tolerate to build up some mobility and some strength to the muscles in the feet. The idea of putting an external support on it and saying, go, go at it now, it is just further setting yourself up for disaster. Now, with the orthotic discussion, there is a small, small percentage of people out there that have structurally flat feet. That population needs orthotics. That's it. Nobody else does. How do you know if you're a structurally flat foot? Go barefoot and do a heel raise. Go up on your toes. Is there any arch that forms? If your inner foot, where an arch would typically be, forms while up on your toes, you are weak in your feet. You're not structurally flat. 
if you go up on your toes and it's a straight line through the area that should be arched in your foot, you're most likely structurally flat. Bone structural flatness does need orthotic support. That's it. It's the only population that needs it. They unfortunately have bony structural changes that do not allow muscles in the feet to maintain the proper arch position of the foot. And what the hell is the purpose of the arch? Its entire purpose is to help with force distribution, shock absorption upon initial contact of the ground, to help with the load in the joints of the knee, the hip, and the low back, as well as to help allow the foot to feel the ground in the most congruent manner, to help with balance and support, as well as reform into an arch upon push-off so that you have the most propulsion force going through the foot. So this whole mechanism of our arch is intended to collapse upon initially touching the ground to stabilize the foot on the ground and then reform back into an arch upon weight shifting from the midfoot to the toes, which allows for a better push mechanism for propulsion of movement. If you put an orthotic in the middle of that whole mechanism, you totally ruin it. All you're doing is having an external support that doesn't allow for hardly any proper propulsion of force to the foot to hold a artificial arch position. Now, when you take your foot out of that shoe with an orthotic, you have no actual structural support anymore and you have no strength in the foot because no muscles have to work because of the orthotic being there. And then you're at a further worsened position in the foot. I personally think people should look at going barefoot more often and or looking at minimally supportive shoes. Our feet need to naturally work the way our feet are supposed to work. And the more time you can get out of excessively supportive shoes, especially orthotics, the better your feet will be overall. Now I do have a small percentage of patients that are 65, 70 year old plus individuals that have destroyed their feet over their lifetime. They most likely are unable to do these tasks I said before. However, anyone under 65 or 70 that do not have severely structurally altered feet from poor, poor footwear through their entire life absolutely can change this. It starts with just a short amount of time going barefoot. Maybe you do it for 15 minutes a day for a week or two, up to 30 minutes a day, and then try to start doing some activities outside in the grass or on surfaces that are not too hard. The only place I would not advise going barefoot is on the road or anywhere that you might step on something that could damage your foot or scrape or cause some kind of cut to it. And that's where you look at your minimally, uh, minimally supportive shoes. Uh, those are great options. How do you know if a shoe is minimally supportive? Can you bend and twist the bottom of the shoe or does it stay in a rigid shoe position? You want to be able to bend and move your shoes so that your feet can bend and move in them. You also want to look for a shoe that has a wider toe bed. So this is another big issue most mainstream shoes have is they go to a narrow point where your toes are. Your foot is meant to have the toes pointing straight out, not bending, curling together near the second toe. This also will affect how your propulsion of force through the, the forefoot and the toes uh, are with walking or running based tasks. So looking for a shoe that's minimally supportive, you should be able to twist and bend the bottom of the shoe without any issue, as well as the area of your forefoot where your toes uh, sit and the ball of your foot sits 
should have plenty of room to where you can stretch your toes out to the side and not feel the shoe completely tightening around where your foot is. These will allow for normal movement of the foot and ankle. Normal movement for the foot and ankle reduces a load that will transmit through your knees. So if you're dealing with patellofemoral issues, you need to look at your shoes. That's an extremely important aspect, as well as look at your feet. If your feet are very stiff and don't move well, then you need to look at getting some form of lacrosse ball or some other ball that you can roll on the bottom of the foot so that you can help loosen up some of the tightness that is there. I would also recommend doing some towel scrunches with your toes as well as marble or rock pickups with your toes. Those will help with increasing the strength in your arch as well as the muscles that connect foot to foot. The hip is also a region you can't forget about with the knee. I mean, think about this. The knee doesn't do a whole lot without the ankle foot or the hips control. Those two command centers on either side of the knee joint are really where the magic happens for limiting knee discomfort. So looking at strength for the outside hip is extremely important. When we run or jog, we're on one foot the entire time we're running. There's never a time when you're running that you're on both feet. There's always one in the air swinging and there's one on the ground pushing. And the muscles that help control that single leg activity are the ones that connect from your leg to your pelvis. These are our hip stabilizers. They are on the outside part of our hip and any movement of our leg out to the side or having to stand on one foot and stabilize, engage these muscles. This is another important aspect most runners don't look down the road of. Uh, they don't look to strengthen and stabilize their hips. Balance exercises on one foot are great for this. Um, and an indicator you can have besides the basic one, if I'm losing my balance or not balancing on one foot, is how much movement am I getting at the knee on that leg that's standing still. So if I'm standing on one foot trying to toss a tennis ball against a wall and catch it, we shouldn't have a lot of knee wobble. If your knee is moving in and out while you're balancing on it, you do not have proper hip strength and stability. If you're unable to hold your hip stable and strong just standing on one leg, how do we expect to do it dynamically running, especially after miles of running when we're starting to get tired? These strength and or balance control centers will effectively change how your knee is positioned in space when force goes through it running. If we don't have that knee in the right position underneath our body, we're gonna have some abnormal force go through it. Abnormal forces through the knee result in soft tissue breakdown. This is typically where a lot of our runner's knee patellofemoral pain issues come from. So just to recap for this issue, hip strength, ankle foot mobility, both extremely important. Likewise, quad tightness, another big problem when it comes to kneecap and or patella tendonitis. So to move slightly lower than the kneecap, there is a tendon that is on the underside of your kneecap. And this is your patella tendon. This tendon can get inflammation to it. If you have inflammation to your patella tendon, any deep bending, any loading of your quad, so doing like a squat or a lunge, will result in the sharp pain felt on the underside of our kneecap. I would recommend if this is an issue going on to give yourself a week to two weeks rest from running and look at flexibility exercises for the quads and hamstrings as well as core strength and hip strength. As I discussed earlier, your hip strength and stability is what's gonna control that knee position. 
quad tightness will also affect this patella tendon. So working on two weeks of stretching, hip strengthening, and core abdominal strengthening is the best route you can go to alleviating this patella knee discomfort going forward. I would also strongly recommend with either pain under the kneecap or pain at the patella tendon to look at quad stretching before and after your runs. 30 seconds to a minute, two times on each leg is the time frame you'd want to stretch the quad for. Anytime we're stretching, it should be a strong but comfortable stretch. It should not hurt. So if you're reproducing sharp discomfort at that patella tendon, you're overstretching at that point in time. Sometimes adding a foam roller to the quads in a straight leg and a bent knee position will also help with some of the tightness felt through the quadriceps muscle. If your pain happens to be in a different location on the knee, which is very common in runners, the next most common area we'll see discomfort at is on the outside part of the knee. And this gets into a different tissue that is causing pain, and that can be your IT band or your iliotibial band. This is an extremely dense piece of connective tissue that when I was in cadaver labs was asked by our professor, who here would like to stretch out the IT band? And I can tell you the joke that was had during these cadaver sessions is there is no stretching this IT band. This is some thick shit that is very, very stiff. The most probable flexible stretch to the IT band will be to the quadriceps and the hamstring. So the thigh muscle and the back of the leg muscle that are on the outside portion of the leg. So there is uh, interaction the IT band has with the outside quad as well as with the outside hamstring. And by working with a foam roller over the IT band as well as near the quad and the hamstring areas near the IT band, you have more feelings of soft tissue mobility afterwards than just doing the IT band itself. The muscles that are underneath the IT band are the ones that are more tight than the band itself. However, due to the tight nature of this tissue, it does give you the sensation that it is very tight on the outside of the leg. And typically, you will feel some discomfort on the outside knee due to the IT band snapping near a bony attachment area. And this is also an area where we have a little fluid-filled sac called the bursa that helps with reducing friction in that area. And if that bursa gets too much friction to it and gets inflamed, we can have a little bit of, an, of a, a lateral knee pain. And it's all going to be due to tightness of the quad hamstring and the IT band. Once again, besides the stretching foam rolling to the muscles I listed, you can look at anything that strengthens the outside hip, whether it be lying on your side, raising the leg up, standing and kicking out to the side, or doing some lateral walking, sidestepping with a band around your ankles or knees. Those type of movements are all intended to strengthen the lateral hips. If there's more strength in the lateral hips, you're less likely to have your pelvis change positions when you're on one leg running. And if you don't have too much pelvic change, you won't have a constant excessive stretch to that lateral IT band tissue, which can get irritated near the knee attachment zone. So that's another common one people deal with, which is on the outside part of the knee, has nothing to do with the joint at all. It has entirely to do with tissue getting tight on the outside leg with repetitive movements and not having adequate stretching or adequate 
hip lateral hip strength to go along with. So two common things you can do very easily to fix that kind of an issue. And the last common one that typically affects my older runners more so than younger ones um, is to look at knee arthritis. So this is going to be kind of an achy soreness deep in the knee joint. Um, usually near kind of the meniscus areas, you'll feel kind of this achy soreness. Swelling is usually accompanying the achy soreness feeling. And this is all going to be felt deep in the knee joint. Um, some people with osteoarthritis feel much worse if they sit for longer durations. Some people feel that if I'm on my feet too long, it swells and I just have to monitor how much time I'm on my feet for. Um, this is one that is a little bit more challenging. I can tell you that most research I have read regarding osteoarthritis of the knees does have benefits for motion. Um, I usually will talk to highly inflamed individuals that standing, going upstairs, any walking time is just uncomfortable. We need motion in the knee, so usually a non-weight bearing exercise is good for this individual, um, whether it be getting on a recumbent bicycle and pedaling that way to get the knee joint moving but not have too much body weight through it. Um, you can look at elliptical trainers are good options if running, jogging is uncomfortable at that time. Uh, and lastly, the aquatic realm is really, really great for individuals with these kind of knee issues. Um, so getting in the pool and do some walking forward, backward, side to side, doing some squats, some, some standing knee bends, all the things that get the joint moving. We know this synovial fluid joint needs fluid all around its surfaces to help limit friction of the bones. So getting in a modified or non-weight bearing situation, whether you be in the pool or you be on a uh, bike or on a rower, all of those options are great for non-weight bearing or modified weight bearing to still get movement in the knee joint. I'm also a fan of looking at heat in and around the knee. So some individuals that have access to a hot tub can start their aquatic exercises in the hot tub, just letting the heat kind of loosen the knee up, do some quad hamstring stretching while sitting in the hot tub, and then just working on some general knee mobility in the hot tub are all great options before getting in the pool to do more exercise-based activities. Um, this population does benefit a lot from PRP shots, so plasma-enriched protein. They can take blood from you, centrifuge in a spinner, get the separation of the protein water matrix, which is your plasma, and inject that in the knee joint. Um, I think Synvisc or any lubricating-based agent injections are fantastic for this kind of an issue, as well as looking at stem cell injections can be very beneficial overall for helping with cartilage regrowth, which is the process of causation for arthritis. We have cartilage that sits on the ends of our bones in the joint, and as wear and tear in life, as well as factors in our life, such as our weight that we have on our body, the types of foods that we eat, how hydrated we are, all will affect our joint health. And if your life choices in the past have not been ideal, um, maybe you're overweight, maybe you did a lot of skiing at some point in your life, or uh, a lot of repetitive-based activities that have caused wear and tear of the knees, uh, that have set you up structurally for more arthritic-based issues. One that I see a little bit more common now, even though research that I just read shows otherwise, is 
patients that have had meniscus-based operations where part of their meniscus is removed tends to have a higher likelihood of arthritis and joint breakdown in areas meniscuses have been removed. Uh, there was a recent article in the British Journal of Sports Medicine that contradicted that and said that people with meniscus tears that got surgery versus those that didn't get surgery had no change in arthritis uh, two years post follow-up. Take that with what you want. Um, but I have seen personally in the clinic those individuals that do get meniscus surgeries, typically a little bit older in age, tend to deal with more arthritis-based problems thereafter. Um, keeping your knee moving, trying to minimize the weight bearing if that's bothersome on it, looking at some of the injection options such as a PRP, a stem cell, or a synvisc-based shot would all benefit the knee joint. I want to touch on one or two issues that are out there a lot for knee-based issues that I do not feel are beneficial. I do not think cortisone shots are a good option for your knees. Um, we've known for the last 10 years or longer that cortisone will cause breakdown to cartilage and joints. So if our arthritis pain is caused from a cartilaginous breakdown in the joint, why in the hell would we inject a substance that's going to increase that breakdown process and think it's helping our arthritis. Um, I also don't understand why people look at icing their knees other than to help control swelling. So unless your knee is really ballooned up and or you have a throbbing heartbeat based pain felt in the knee, you should not be icing your knees. We know icing causes constriction of blood vessels which will limit fluid and nutrients to supply the joint. So if we are restricting the good substances in a knee that are needed for healing it, I just don't see how that helps the knee overall. Unless you have swollen a lot and it's hard for the knee to move because there's so much swelling in the joint. Then I can understand why placing ice on it. However, looking at compression and elevation with some ankle pumping is probably a better combo without the ice to allow for better fluid movement as well as to allow for normal nutrients in the bloodstream to get back into the knee joint. Another option that's really helpful with uh, knee pain is looking at some alternative treatment options that we do in physical therapy. Um, so some of the orthopedic options, you go see an ortho doc, they're gonna look at the injection route I discussed earlier. And as long as it's not a cortisone shot, you probably got a pretty good option going that route to help with joint irritation. Um, cortisone is just not a good option and I just don't have any solid answer other than it's just what we've always done of why orthos tend to go towards cortisone so frequently for inflammation based problems especially in the knee joint. Um, it just doesn't help you long term and it's not a good option. Now looking conversely at my field of scope of physical therapy Looking at some laser treatments, cold laser therapy is awesome for knee pain. It's great for arthritis of the knee. It helps improve blood flow and reduce pain ratings. You can look at different stretching, cupping, strength training based aspects of PT, which are all helpful long term for knee health. And lastly, one that I've done a lot more recently of in the last two years is a lot of dry needling based protocols for the knee. So with my own personal knee experience, as well as many patients over the last two years, I have dry needled their knees within a couple sessions, two to four, we've got a lot of the pain rectified. So we're talking two, maybe three weeks and you're back running again, which is really, really great time frame wise for natural healing, um, as well as arthritis based issues. Some of the chronic based pain people deal with 
Um, research is showing that our dry needling protocols with electricity added can increase blood flow 80% to the knee joint. So as we're talking about you need blood flow, you need nutrients to get in to help heal irritated, inflamed parts of the joint and the bones of the joint, you need blood flow there. Um, and I think dry needling with electrodes is one of the best options I provide for patients with these kind of issues. Um, I've had some patients over the years come in once a week for dry needling and they get four to five days of hardly no pain and then a couple days right before their next session where a little bit of an achy soreness starts to return, but they're able to golf, they're able to play pickleball, they're able to do their pool aerobics, they're, they're walking, they're doing their everyday life stuff with no major impact. And you know, I think that's kind of the end goal for anybody that's got a permanent structural challenge in the knee like arthritis. Um, or somebody that's dealing with a more soft tissue-based injury like a, uh, a patellar tendonitis or an IT band friction syndrome, those issues also respond great to this treatment. So if you're out there running and having pain with it or wanting to improve the quality of enjoyment with running and then the pain's a big factor of limiting that, or your movement pattern has altered because of pain and because of the altered movement pattern, you're not as fast and other things are starting to bother you in your knee, coming in and seeing a therapist to address the problems, determining if it's a strength issue, if it's a balance issue, if it's an ankle foot mobility issue is also paramount to getting you on the right path as soon as possible. And then like I mentioned before, getting somebody that can do some of those hands-on interventions such as dry needling, cold laser, cupping, stretching, all of that stuff is extremely beneficial for, for knee health and maintaining a enjoyment of running longer in life on the road. I hope everybody out there enjoys this podcast on the knees. I hope you all have a great time out with family or friends trick-or-treating tonight. Um, Think about all those out there that can't move. There's a lot of people that physically can't move, and it's something I always think about whenever I go for a run and say, even if I'm a little achy, even if I'm a little sore, at least I can still do this. And I think that is a big motivating factor to keep us moving, keeping us feeling good, and staying healthy. Have a great Halloween, everybody.